0: Thank you for tuning in and now for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. You are listening to episode number 346, Possible Progress in Arkansas with Jeremy Wood. And I am your co-host and the guy who went and looked at a Possible new lease this past weekend. And I'm your
1: co-host and the guy that was SMHing at his neighbor the other day.
0: Oh man, I gotta hear that.
1: So, you know,
0: shake my head.
1: That's what that stands for. But man, went over to talk to him. He was like, Yeah, you know, on our five hundred acres we got, I always wait till uh, you know, June to mow it so I don't mess up the turkey nests. I was sitting there thinking, I was like, Man, it's still pretty early. He's like, you know, I went out there and bush hogged it and ran over three turkey nests. I don't know what the deal is. He's like, they're, they're late this year. And I was like, man, I, they probably hadn't hatched yet. Like, I, I would maybe wait till July. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was kind of mm-hmm. depressing. He said there was four other nests that had hatched already that he did not run over.
0: So I guess that's one good sign. Yeah, he ran over all the poults that had hatched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so-
1: he said the hen blew off the nest before he ran over her, so I guess that's good, too. But anyway, for those who may be considering bush hogging, think a little bit later than June if you're in the southeast. I, I would say maybe late June, early July would be a much better choice.
0: Let the dang grass grow. The grass not hurting anything.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't know. It just makes me sick to hear the turkey nests getting destroyed 100% by human influence.
0: Well somewhere some tom is walking around in the woods and full strut with a smile on his face today and i know
1: dude i'm telling you and we'll get to your guy who in a second but i'm telling you i've had more people sending me videos of gobblers strutting with hens turkeys gobbling i've seen a i saw a gobbler breeding a hen in tennessee a week ago it's this year has been weird
0: you know i don't know i think we had a lot of pain do what They're all gobbled out.
1: Yeah, they're all gobbled out. I I think Mike Chamberlain put a post up this week for Turkey Tuesday. If you're interested in gobbled out turkeys, go look at that one. But it is interesting. I I think, you know, Alabama, y'all had quite a bit of rain. Tennessee, we got – it didn't rain a whole ton. It just rained, like, every day for like right in the middle of when the nest should have been, you know, when she's incubating. And I I just wonder if a lot of nests were lost this year due to weather and the turkeys are having a mass retry at putting eggs on the ground.
0: Yeah, well, I think that is totally the case. I'm sitting here looking at a trail camera picture that was taken on June the 15th at 4.31 p.m. in South Alabama. Strutter? There's a turkey in full strut with two, well, I can tell you there's another long beard, the other turkey, the other male turkey, I can just see the head of it. Mm -hmm. can't see if he's got a beard or not, but he's no small bird, I can tell you that. So I, you know, don't think he's a Jake. But yeah, this choker blowed up in full strut on Mm -hmm. June 15th.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of those years, some late stuff's going to be happening The Jakes that everybody in Tennessee shoots next year are going to
0: be some young ones, I bet. (laughs) I hope not. I hope there's not a bunch of Jakes shot next year. So, yeah, I went and looked at a new piece of property. Man, is this
1: going to be an addition or supplementing Uh, a different property?
0: It's a big piece of property. Mm -hmm. And there's some turkey sign on it. That's
1: Step in the right direction.
0: There's also quite a bit of four wheeler and UTV tracks on it. Mm. And I happen to know the area that this property is located in and know that there is a lot of ATV and UTV riding that goes on in this area. This property's 34 minutes from my driveway. And that's nice. Yeah and I think I'm going to pass on it.
1: Really, just because of the ATVs.
0: ATVs and it is a little difficult to access and another thing, it is straight up and down. I'm talking 200 plus foot elevation changes. Wow. Not that you know I'm a one who's just so scared of climbing hills, but I don't know. I think just given all of the circumstances involved i think it's one i'm going to pass on
1: well you'll have another opportunity i'm sure and usually going with your gut is always the best decision That's been yeah high.
0: and there's there's houses not all around this property but a bunch of houses around this property and when i say a bunch i mean there's
1: so somebody slipping on there
0: <laughs> well over a hundred Houses yeah. that border this property. Wow. Oh, someone's slipping on there because there's a humongous shooting house that someone built right smack dab in the middle of it, <laughs> with a nice tripod feeder.
1: Oh, good lord! So they're pretty much they got ownership of it.
0: <laughs> that's what they think. Yeah, yeah. I so, think I'd
1: be out on that one. That's yeah, good call. yeah. Be a lot of hassle if you're leasing it. You don't have near as much say in kicking folks off and things. But
0: well. Yeah. And, you know, it's happened before. I'm sure it will happen again, but you go, you go into a lease like that and you know, you know that you're going to have to have confrontations with people. Mm -hmm. Whereas you go into a lease, you know, maybe a hunting club or some property that's a little bit more rural and Hey, there's a chance you're going to have to have a confrontation with a neighbor or, you know, a neighbor from eight parcels away. But there's a chance. It's not a given. And I will assure you Mm -hmm. that it is a given on this piece of property. Because people are riding it, you know, on their ATVs and four-wheelers and UTVs. So they think it's theirs. And I will guarantee you they're hunting it like crazy. So... I I think it's
1: probably a good decision.
0: Yeah, I hate to do it. I hate to pass on it, but... Yeah? Looks like I'm going to do it. Looks like it's going to be a punt. Well,
1: sorry to hear that, but...
0: Yeah, me too.
1: Between now and, you know, if you're in Tennessee, 289 days, 12 hours, and 34 minutes, you got plenty of time to find a new place.
0: Well, it's a little bit less here. We're 281 days, 12 hours... 50 minutes and 22 seconds from the start of spring turkey season in Alabama. So, yeah, I've still got time. I just need to sit down and do a little bit of research and get it figured out. Yeah. So, in the meantime, though,
1: we're going to learn about Arkansas.
0: <laughs> we have some great content coming up in these upcoming episodes. But oh my gosh. this one today, I've been
1: wanting to do this one for a while.
0: Yeah. And I think we talked about it a little bit last week, you know. My hesitation of doing state specific interviews is that they're kind of limiting in the respect that not everyone's going to be interested in it, but not everyone's going to be interested in every single topic anyway. But yeah, I've, I'm getting away from that mindset about these state specific interviews like this one that we have today because there are takeaways that we can be presenting to our conservation advisory boards our state legislators, our game and fish departments. You know, if you hear something that you like that Arkansas is implementing, and yeah. I, I think a lot of people will, Yeah. then why not present it to your own state?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think people will be more interested in this than I, we even imagine, because if you bring up the topic of turkey declines, Arkansas seems to be a go-to, you know?
0: <laughs> Definitely.
1: So I think a lot of people are interested in what's going on in Arkansas. I mean, where I am in Tennessee, I'm so close to Arkansas, and I'm seeing the declines here that I'm very interested in what Arkansas is doing because it actually pertains a lot to what's happening here. Because, I mean, we're similar terrain. You know, instead of rice, we got cotton and corn, but very similar terrain with the open fields and, and bottom land like they have in my neck of the woods, so very interested in this been wanting to have jeremy on he is a student of mike chamberlain's and so that i thought that was interesting got his contact info from mike so i was excited that he took the time to come on with us and man he, he took a lot of time to come on with us we he had did. a long conversation with him
0: yeah you know I'm i'm sure you were sitting there going come on andy quit asking questions
1: no i was sitting Just there quit. thinking like all right i'm halfway down my list <laughs> It's been two hours.
0: So. I know it. I know it. Really was a very interesting conversation, and he is a heck of a nice guy. And so, what do you think? You want to jump in it?
1: Yeah, I say let's you know heat up some real Cajun market sausage, get yeah. ready, snack during the interview. You got get a you long cold beer. One. Yeah, tune yeah. in, listen to Jeremy. He's you know I don't care what state you're in, you can take something away from what's happening in Arkansas and from what jeremy presents to us today so let's hop in there
0: let's do it we'll see you guys on the other side
1: see you on the other side
0: hey everybody cameron and i are excited to tell you that we have on the line with us well somebody who i think is one of the bravest people i know somebody who's got kahunis the the size of rhode island even though it might be one of the smallest states that's some big kahunis and Who I'm talking about here is we have Jeremy Wood with us, who is the man when it comes to wild turkeys in the state of Arkansas. And you guys who know anything about the state of turkeys and turkey hunting across the country, you guys who have been to Arkansas and hunted, you guys who have listened to this show before or know any old school Arkansas turkey hunters, know that Arkansas is probably and jeremy if i'm if i'm stepping on myself here please don't hesitate to correct me but it's probably the state that has had the biggest turnaround out of all of them in the wrong direction over the past 20 25 years and jeremy is you've been on the job now is this your third going on your fourth year
3: this will be going on my third year going this is my, third, my third third turkey season here in arkansas this past spring
0: okay Nice. And And your
3: title is the turkey coordinator, right? Yep, the turkey program coordinator with Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. nice.
0: So, we wanted to get Jeremy on because, you know, we read a lot about changes that are being made in Arkansas, and we hear a lot from Arkansas turkey hunters, and you know as well as I do, not everybody's always going to be happy. Some of them are happy with the direction things are going, some are not, but I will tell you one commonality, none of them who have hunted more than 10 years in the state of Arkansas are happy about where things are headed as far as the population has been headed. That's probably the better way to say it, has been headed over, you know, the, the past couple of decades, and so mm-hmm. you aren't happy with that either, and that's why you've taken on that monumental task of trying to, to implement some changes, and Cameron and I think that many of the changes you guys have implemented, at least this past turkey season, are awesome and probably going to have a big change. And we are by no means biologists like you are. but
2: Yeah,
1: some of the biggest changes, too. I mean, y'all, you you went, you know, pretty big deal, you know, changing into those two zones and dropping the season to, I think it's only eight days in, in zone one so it's,
3: it's, yeah we, you know we, we we made some substantial changes this year you know some of them have we've had kind of in the past but you know we tried to simplify things kind of along the same lines as, as we were making some more conservative regulations so yeah that zone one happens every it's a nine day day season it starts you know mm-hmm. opens on the monday closes the following tuesday and then the rest of the state opens that first monday it runs for 21 days now. We actually increased the season slightly, help mm. make up for some of the opportunity that was was lost when you implemented the the one bird restriction during the first seven days of the season. Something that's similar to you know what Missouri has in place and similar regulations that you're seeing out in like South Carolina.
2: Yeah.
0: How yeah. easy is that to enforce? How how easy is
3: that to enforce?
0: Uh huh. Oh.
3: You know I. I or hard. I, you know, I'd, I'd have to put that up to, you know, most States, you know, we're pretty much on the honor system. And, you know, hopefully, you know, as we put these regulations in place, that most people, you know, honor honor that. I'm not sure at this point in time, you know, how our enforcement officers had to deal with it this year. You know, if they, they ran into any cases of it, I, I'm I'm not aware of, of many,
2: mm-hmm.
3: many cases that were made, you know, regarding that. You know, I've heard anecdotal reports from some folks that, you know, some folks may have not, you know, checked a bird that first week or you know, went out after they killed their first bird anyway and then didn't check it till the following week or potentially even, you know, some folks that are, you know, going out there and just shooting one in addition to their their other tag and, you know, then going on and saying, well, I made it it through and maybe maybe I'm going out for number three or four. And, you know, the folks are doing that, you know, they're basically shooting themselves in the foot and, you know, setting us up for further, you know, issues down the road. And, you know, we got to get away from that mindset that, you know, we're, we're in it about right now. You know, we got to be thinking about the, the long term here if we're going to see things start going back the other direction. Because, you know, if we keep yeah. sitting there going out and trying to kill as many and as many as we
2: can in and, and
3: this year or this upcoming year, you know, that's, that's not necessarily going to set us up for success down the line. Yeah, I've always thought the, the bag limit
1: would be very difficult to enforce season dates a lot easier to change and enforce because if somebody's parked on the side of the road in the woods and camo with a gun and it's not season, that would be pretty easy to catch i would think compared to the tagging and all that
3: right right i mean even even having you know actual paper tags you know we don't have those in the state but if if we did you know the the reality still exists there that if somebody wants to to break the rules and and not check a bird they're going to do that regardless whether or not they've got an actual physical tag they're supposed to fill out Mm -hmm. or or if they don't have to do that have you considered going to a physical tag because at this point you know that that's kind of been discussed over the years you know probably even prior to me being here and you know it's trying to look at the the cost benefit analysis there. You know how much is that going to cost to implement since our state doesn't already use a you know kind of a paper tagging system for any species, but mm-hmm. you know a completely new cost in addition to our our standard license system. Yeah. so you know it's it's not something that we've we've really looked into deeply since I've been here, but you know i I have had requests to to look into it and, and will be at, at some point here shortly. Um, just to see what those costs would look like, and you know, at least have a report for our commission um, yeah. if they had wanted to entertain that down the line. Very cool.
0: I'd love to twist your arm and get a copy of the report after you submit it to them, because <laughs> I would love to to submit it to our <laughs> conservation advisory board in the state of Alabama.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing just trying to figure out, you know, look at other states that are out there and you know what the costs they've they've seen to to implement, you know, those changes when they've made them. I know South Carolina did it recently, and they'll probably be, a, you know, a, an agency that we'd reach out to, to to see, you know, what what kind of costs they incurred when, when they put that into place, yeah. as well as some of the other states out there that have, you know, like Wyoming and, and some other states that have historically had, you know, paper tagging systems of, of some kind or another. But we'll see. We'll see what that looks like down the line.
0: I mean, yeah. even, you know, even in my mind – And it's a pretty feeble mind, (laughs) but even having something like a turkey stamp. So just so the state knew how many hunters were participating in the sport would be a big plus. And that's something that a, a CO can check in a heartbeat. Hey, do you have your hunting license? And I need a copy of your turkey stamp. Mm-hmm. At least the state would know at that point in time how many people are pursuing this resource and yeah. to to help answer that part of the management equation.
3: Mm-hmm. And I mean, that that obviously from a program st- standpoint would be great to know. You know, we don't know how many turkey hunters there are in Arkansas at this point. You know, we have some, some rough estimates based on some, some deer and turkey opinion hunter surveys that were done back in... 2014, 16, and 18, but generally estimated that about 40% of our licensed base may turkey hunt. And when you look at that, those figures would roughly look at you know, 80 to 90,000 turkey hunters in the state these days, which is a considerable number of turkey hunters. When you look at how, how big Arkansas really is in comparison to a lot of the states around us, it's, it's not quite as large as, you know, obviously a state like Missouri or maybe even yeah. Mississippi and, and having the available, you know, turkey habitat across the state you know we've got a significant portion of the state in east arkansas in the mississippi river you know alluvial valley the delta you know pretty well non-habitat you're looking at rice Rice fields fields for
1: ducks yeah
3: (laughs) uh, and it's, you know a turkey's not going to be running up in those fields to nest and there's places that you know there's not a tree for miles so you know they don't have Mm -hmm. anything to roost in Um, so, you know when you cut out that whole chunk of the, the state you know you realize just how small we are and then you couple that with how many potential turkey hunters we have in the state and that is a lot of pressure but it mm-hmm. would be it would be really nice to to know you know how many turkey hunters we do have here in arkansas we actually do have a voluntary turkey stand that was initiated about a year and a half ago or so uh we've got it online just prior to the twenty twenty turkey season. And we actually sold quite a few of those stamps in the first year. We ended up selling about fifteen thousand of those at a cost of nine dollars and fifty cents. Nice. And all that all the funds from that are gonna go toward habitat improvement projects. We're gonna couple that with funds that are generated from a quail stamp and hopefully be working with our State chapter of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their Habitat Super Fund basically take a program that they've already been implementing and take it a step further by bringing some more money to the table to get more work done. So I'm looking forward to you know spending some of that money here in this, this upcoming fiscal year after the first of July. We we just recently put out a request for proposals from our state and federal agency
2: partners,
3: not, you know NGO partners like TNC, and you know we've been getting a couple proposals and so far, so I'm excited to to rank those and and get some some funds out and get some habitat work done in addition to what's you know already being done normally statewide.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk to you and I know Cameron does too. We want to hear a little bit about some of the habitat work that's ongoing and about to start in the state, but I wanna ask first what research projects are or does the state have going on and, or any of the universities in the area have going on in Arkansas at this point? About
3: turkeys.
1: So, so yeah, at,
0: for turkeys, yep,
3: obviously. Yep.
0: <laughs>
3: so, so at this point, most of our research has, has been completed of what was going on prior to my arrival. Uh, we were conducting a research project looking at the potential impacts of what's known as the no-jake harvest regulation. Um, on adult and juvenile male survival and harvest rates in the state. That project ran from about 2015-16 through 2018-2019 time frame. And so what that was doing was we were trying to understand those survival and harvest rates of males following this no-jake harvest regulation, which just simply was the restriction implemented back in 2011, That basically only youth hunters, age six to fifteen, are still allowed to harvest the jake as part of their two bird state bag limit. Mm -hmm. I love that in Arkansas. Um, All of the other hunters, sixteen or older, they're restricted to adult gobbler harvest now. With with the the recent restriction on bearded hens being implemented this season, Um, but so from 2011 through till 2020 they could still shoot a, a to ten during that period but no longer so you know, you're looking at just a double gobbler harvest but so that research finished up the last of the graduate students um we graduated in spring of 2020 uh, we're still working with the university to try to to get some of that data ready for publication uh, but some of the preliminary estimates the that they put out you know, suggested that that no jake harvest regulation was positively impacting jake survival and we're seeing about 90 percent of our jakes on average were surviving the wow. year and basically being available for harvest the following year
1: uh, can you send that whereas, to tennessee please
3: <laughs> <laughs> well well you know I, I'll, I'll tell you some caveats here in a minute um and you know where i have some concerns with with jake restrictions because we on we don't we don't have a lot of data from prior to that regulation to understand what those survival rates looked like prior to, to, what, to see whether or not there truly was an impact there or not. But what we're seeing, you know, so we have about 90% jake survival, but we're seeing that two-year-old age class of known age birds, you know, they, they've got about 30% survival. And, and I'm fudging the numbers here a little bit to make them random and even, but about 30% survival. And then when you start getting to that three-year or older age class birds, that starts jumping to about a 50, 55% survival. Wow. So, you know, like everyone would think, you know, you get those two-year-olds that everyone thinks about, they're going to come in hot and heavy, they're going to gobble their heads off, they're going to come in and run into your setup. Well, it seems to play out within the data that, you know, those are the ones that are getting hit the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're surviving that first year, but the moment they're available to harvest, folks are taking advantage of it. Hmm. I assume that would still
1: be a good thing because ninety percent survival for Jakes is a lot higher than killing a Jake. That takes him to zero percent survival. So
3: <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> the, the, the the challenges I, I have with it without having a lot of that data from the front end to see see what Jake Jake survival looked like prior to the implementation of that that regulation. You know, Arkansas and Mississippi are the only two states in the country that restrict Jake Jake harvest. Wow i didn't realize that and if you go back your time you know arkansas prior to the year 2000 so 99 and before hunters could take two jakes as part of their their two bird limit we were seeing annual harvests of jakes in and around 40 percent on average of our annual harvest wow from 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 2000 to 2010 folks were still able to take one bird one jake is part of their two bird limit and that dropped from 40 to about 25 percent of the, the annual harvest made up of jakes to wow. now wow you know, we're seeing about four we're seeing about four percent now and but what you saw you know back prior to 2000 when we were still killing that many jake, you know our populations were still increasing during that entire time now i understand that there's obviously a lot of caveats with that you know we had fewer turkey hunters pursuing pursuing the birds you know the predator populations may have been lower due to fur markets at the time more Mm. participation on on that side of things you know reproductive rates were still quite high in comparison to what we see now so there's to me there's a lot of a lot of challenges when you look back at there. but you know it does make me wonder if there's probably some level of jake harvest that is is acceptable that actually takes some pressure off of those adult males because when you think about it you know right now when we're putting all of our effort towards that adult male segment of the population, we're targeting all of the birds that are actively breeding at that point in time.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
3: you know, you look at a lot of these States where even without those restrictions, mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of that Jake harvest go down and down just from a personal ethics, you know, a personal, you know, ideal that they only want to shoot you know, a longbeard, um, mm-hmm. or a gobbler, you know, a mature gobbler. And, and so they're putting a lot of, a lot of focus on, on these reproductive males that we're then removing them hmm. potentially in some states, you know, prior to most of that breeding occurring. You know, hopefully here in Arkansas now that we bump that, that season back more in time with the peak nest initiation timing. So when most of those hens are actually starting that laying process.
2: It's not mm-hmm. to say that, you
3: know, birds haven't been bred and started that laying process, you know, by the beginning of April, but right. but the peak doesn't tend to happen until about that third week in April, about April 19th, give or take probably a day or two, you know, from year to year, just with some annual variation and, and fluctuations with the temperature and green up, you know, just your overall weather patterns at the time but in general you know the long-term average falls around the 19th so by pushing our season back we're hoping to get most of those toms to have had time to breed as many hens as they could at that point most of them are going to nest start that laying process so the hens shouldn't be as you know susceptible to potential legal take you know or or mistaken harvest you know bird comes in when they they hear one somebody hearing a bird gobble and Next thing you know, we see a head and they, they shoot. You know, we, we hope folks don't do that, but, but you know what happens probably a time or two out there. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, by pushing this season back, allowing more of those hens to go off and nest, hopefully be less susceptible to that. Most of that breeding's occurring already, and then at that point, you know, there's a lot fewer hens left to breed. Those gobblers should start increasing that goblin activity, depending on the amount of pressure what has been in the area just for people you know walking in calling you know prior to season things like that can all can all impact that the potential is there with that gobbling activity increase you'd actually end up with better activity at that point in time yeah so back to the jake
1: thing real quick because that was an interesting point of letting jakes be killed might take pressure off the breeding gobblers but if your season date is going to coincide with when breeding's already you should have taken place i mean if you shoot a jake because from my understanding jakes cannot reproduce offspring so right. if you right. if you shoot him he have never had a, a hope or prayer at reproducing where i mean i guess if your season dates coincide correctly at least as a two year old he might could have had a chance to replace himself on the landscape.
3: Right, right. He could have. And you know, but that's one of the things this day and age now with as, with as many turkey hunters that we do have now, you know, pursuing these birds, you know, that level of Jake Harvest these days probably couldn't be sustainable at what we once saw here in the state and still, yeah. you know, allow population growth. You know, what okay. we do know from that, that reproduction standpoint you know, typically you've got a small number of birds probably accounting for the majority of that reproductive potential. So, you know, even if you were to shoot a jake, that doesn't necessarily mean that those genes aren't moving moving on in, in future years. You know, especially if you've got a good hatch and, you know, you've got a, a jake group that, say, several birds. Um, and, you know, one gets removed from that while other adult males that particular year are, are breeding. And then, you know, the remainder of those jakes that make it to the next year still have that potential to, to reproduce. But again, that, that's kind of just a, a personal thought that I've had looking at a lot of the research. And, and one of the, the problems I have when I, when I look at that jake harvest without knowing what what our survival and our harvest rates really used to look like. I mean, we can sit there and we can say, yeah, we used to kill 40 percent or we used to kill 25 of, percent of the annual harvest being accounted for by jakes but you know what did that really translate into from a survival or an actual harvest rate of those those individuals was that just a response from really high populations of those those younger birds because we were having really good reproductive years back then Uh, Mm. and and when you look at your survival maybe you know say it was 90 percent now maybe it was only 75 or 80 percent back then you know is that biologically significant enough of a harvest to you know, impact your future years from a from a juvenile standpoint, you know, or if you're killing a few less adults during those years that go on and do the breeding and, and get all of that, that activity done, you know, passing along their, their genetics and hopefully getting some clutches to hatch, you know, is that is that a trade-off for that 10 to 5, you know, 15%, you know, difference mm-hmm. in survival? And maybe you see your 2-year-old survival, you know, at that time may have been 40 or 50%. You know, maybe it would have offset somewhere, but like I say, we just, we don't have that data, unfortunately, and so when when I look at other states that look to consider a regulation like that, you know, I hope they try to gather some of that data on the front end to understand what those survival and harvest rates look like now versus mm-hmm. after they potentially implement something like that, because you know without having some of that before data, it's really hard to tell whether or not you had any sort of an impact there, or to what degree that impact is, and again whether or not it's truly you know biologically significant, or if it's just a an ethical thing that you know folks are putting out there and thinking that it's you know really beneficial because you know intuitively yes you know if you don't kill that jake he's going to be there more than likely the next year but but on the flip side again you know if you remove that one but but one that's actively breeding in that year makes it instead of being Hmm. harvested you Hmm. know is is that a trade-off that's actually you know worthwhile
0: yeah that's interesting yeah so you said that 55 percent of your two-year-olds you you basically that you guys have a survival rate of 55% of your 2-year-olds or 55% of your 2-year-olds are getting killed in a season.
3: Our survival and our harvest rates of our 2-year-olds were right around 30 to 35% essentially. Okay. So meaning like 70% of them were getting 70. getting shot.
0: Wow. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Sixty five, seven. Oh. Sorry. And whereas then your your three plus year old birds, you know, we're starting to see, you know, about 40 to 45 percent of those remaining birds. So the ones that basically that 30 to 35 percent that survives that roll over to the next year, you know, of them, about half of them are going to make it. After
2: that, yeah, mm-hmm. well,
0: that seems like a pretty easy fix to me because I only kill five and six year old gobblers, so it seems like the state <laughs> could put an implement, you know, implement a rule that says just kill five or six year old gobblers, yeah. But
3: don't we all? I mean, you know, it's, it's gonna have an inch and a half spur, I and mean, you know, you can only, only take them at, at that size yeah. or, or
1: greater, <laughs> yeah. Trophy hunting turkeys that would be, be tough to do, so Good binoculars would be needed. A
0: serious, serious. question for you. <laughs> a serious question when when does the state or when do you think that you may know if push the season start dates back later to coincide with the peak (laughs) nesting season when do you think that you guys may have some some information as to the results of that as to whether or not it's working
3: it, it's hard to say at this point in time. I mean, it, it's going to take years to to really see what what starts trending because there, there's so many things that go into your population success, you know, from year to year. Yeah. So just because we move we move those those dates back doesn't mean we're going to realize the benefits of that, you know, next year or the year after, maybe even the year after that. It may be five or more years down the road before we really start to see it um but i what i do is i, I look back in time and here in arkansas we've previously shifted the season back later um during the 2012 to 2016 time frame the season started on the third saturday and in, in april there was you know yeah. a push years ago i mean we're, we're going on almost a decade now to to move that season back you know when a lot of the the talk in the southeast was was surrounding the timing of seasons and you know when when is best to to open these seasons and before maybe some of these other states started to really see the declines that you know we've been noticing here in the state and um, so they bumped the season back in 2012 and. The unfortunate thing, and what we don't know, is because we didn't leave that regulation in place long enough, we had really good reproductive years in 2012 and 2013. You know, when we we look at our brood survey, or here in Arkansas we call it a population survey, we run it year-round, but the brood survey portion, you know, through the summer months, you're looking at estimates of the total number of poults that are observed, so the young of the year, divided by the total number of hens that were observed during that same period. And, and you're hoping that you see, you know, a pulp per hen ratio of about two poults per hen or so, maybe a little bit shy of that. And that's suggesting that you've either got, you know, slightly stable to a slightly increasing population.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so at that point in time, you know, we started getting, uh, I the pulp per hen index was was well over two, if not pushing three poults per hen wow. um, in, in 2012, which was, was awesome. And then in 2013, we followed that up with another good year around, you know, right around two poults per hen or so. And then after that, from 14, 15, 16, all the way through 19, we basically had four to five of the top five or six lowest reproductive indices on record. Dang. And so we had really good reproductive years on the front end of, of that season pushback, and what we ended up seeing was was increasing harvest through that time. And we bumped up from killing about just under 7,000 birds in 2011 when the no-jake rule was implemented. And then by 2013 or so, we started getting up into about 10,000 20. 20- 2014, we were at 11,000. 15, we are at 11,000 or so. Wow, 50% and, increase. And 16, yeah, so we we're, we're doing good. And when you start coupling that with all the different regulation changes, when you you know incorporate the, the no-jake restrictions and try to look back through time, we really weren't that far off of what our historic highs would have been for adult gobbler harvest mm. for a similar length season back then. And so it was actually looking really good, but you know, obviously, you know, you get a lot of pressure as state agencies from the public, you know, when when things don't seem to be right, you know, they're not here in gobbling activity the way you know they once did, say 20, 30 years ago, you know, as, as populations were booming, and we ended up shifting that season timing back to about the second Monday in in April. And so when that happened, we saw a precipitous decline in our harvest, which to me, it's most likely in line with the, the peak breeding at that point in time. So you're actually dealing with a lot of birds that are are actively, you know, hend up, as, as a lot of people like to say it, when, mm-hmm. you know, the hens are going to the gobblers, they're actively breeding, which makes sense when you when you look at those long-term averages of, of peak nest initiation in the state, that basically those few days to a week prior to the 19th, that's going to be the bulk of that breeding activity is occurring. So it's going to be harder to call those, those gobblers away from the hens at that point yeah. in time. But because we made that change and we saw that big drop, what we don't know was was that big drop coming anyway and we were going to see it regardless of the season timing Mm. at that point because we had had such poor reproduction or was that going to help counterbalance the you know years of poor reproduction while being later and and allowing for for more breeding activity to occur and and, you know we, we just don't know the answers to that unfortunately at this point in time but you know with a lot of the research that's going on out there, a lot of the recommendations from most of my counterparts throughout the Southeast, you know, suggesting moving from a biological standpoint to move back the season timing more closely tied with those, those nest initiations should be, be conservative, but it's not the most conservative that we could be. I mean, we could push seasons all the way back to peaks and nest incubation, you know, when those hens are actually laying on the eggs and that, you know, that would push mm-hmm seasons back all the way into the beginning of may obviously the trade-off there would be potentially that you'd have some some impacts the gobbling activity so we're trying to find that kind of happy medium where you're, you're balancing that that opportunity and hopefully a quality opportunity while still allowing those birds to do what they need to do and get those nests on the ground and hopefully time close enough together so that you know they can have some potential to you know, swamp predators on the landscape, you know, if there's more and more of those nests that occur in a short period of time, the better chance that some of those nests make it as opposed to stringing it out for a longer period of time when you time season is smack dab in the middle of, of, that breeding activity. So it gets away, you know, as, as Chamberlain's talked about, you know, how that disrupts the apparent cycle of, of those hens that are, are breeding within a, a hen flock where, you know, the, the dominant bird seems to start out and each bird in succession typically, you know, when they're not being harvested or the males aren't being harvested, you know, it seems to be like a day day apart seemingly that they each start to kind of nest. But you start removing those those males that they're breeding with and all of a sudden that spreads out and it takes a much longer period of time. And, you know, so look, all of those things are probably acting in concert with, you know, everything else that's going on these days. When you think about the number of predators, the number of hunters, you know, that are pursuing these birds and, you know, each little thing that's chipping away and, and acting against the turkey is, is not a good thing. So, you know, where we can try to manipulate that and, and put it more in the favor of the bird, you know, that's what we're going to try to do.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all pretty interesting. I mean, I would assume that you as a scientist, as a biologist, would love to say, hey, you know, give me 10 years, 10 plus years of this season pushback so we can do away with, or at least maybe eliminate or lessen some of the effects of what weather has on recruitment and nesting success and things like that. And we can, you know, maybe get a better idea of an average, you know, and I... I,
3: Exactly.
0: Yeah, as a hunter... You know being short-sighted as i am would you know would look at that and say well shoot man you know Ar- arkansas made pretty big you know that's a pretty sweeping change and i would think within two or three years they should be seeing some results and there's a chance mm-hmm. but 10 years there's a lot better chance of knowing hey is this thing really working or not mm-hmm. right so that's right
3: exactly and that that's the that's the difficulty obviously you know state agencies run into you know We've got a, you know, I'm a turkey hunter myself and, you know, there's, a, you know, that like kind of innate thing in the back of your mind that you want to see, you know, changes and you want to see them yesterday. And, and so it's, it's hard when you're trying to implement a change and, and wait to see whether or not it's being effective. And with obviously that, that contention building, you know, as, as potentially the numbers don't don't work out quickly within within favor, at least to the level that you're expecting. And, you know, that's one of the the biggest challenges I've had coming here to a state. You know, obviously, you know, Arkansas has been at a low point for a while and has has been looked at as, as the state that, you know, is probably the, has been hit the hardest with these declines. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I think as a, as a state, we're probably seeing very similar declines to a lot of our neighbors. I, I think what's happened is Arkansas has been more apt to make changes than a lot of our other states, you know, that, maybe. Absolutely.
2: I agree taking with that. Some of
3: that pressure and, and, and adjusted seasons, you know, adjusted timing, Adjusted bag limit. I made a presentation here a couple of years ago and basically from, I think it was from 1998 till 2018, you know, there had been some sort of a major regulation change, basically two out of every three years in the state, whether that was impacting the bag limit. So, you know, moving from being able to kill two jakes to one jake to no jakes, either that was adjusting the season timing so being earlier or later or the season length, you know, when you go back in Arkansas's harvest history and, and actually look at what our seasons were, you'll notice that, you know, the year when we killed our, our peak harvest of, of just shy of 20,000 birds, we had a 37-day-long season that year compared to, in recent years, you know, a 16-day season. So we had over twice as long a season. and and so that's what you know. I try to get folks to look at. You know, you go back to that 2012 to 16 time frame. We're harvesting 11,000 or so birds we really weren't that far off when you start thinking about how many birds you could have possibly killed over 16 days you know 20 years ago you know when i when i kind of try to break it down and get give you kind of a hypothetical scenario i mean obviously there's some some assumptions here where you know if somebody had fewer days to hunt they may have they may have hunted harder than they did back when they had 37 days too um so that may have adjusted the harvest but you know when you take that 37 day season and cut it down to i say 18 because i include the youth hunt now when i look back so we have a two-day youth hunt prior to the regular season when you include those numbers you know back in 2003 we would have killed about 13 or 14 thousand total birds and that didn't account for removing some proportion of the jake harvest that shouldn't have been harvested that year if we had the same same level of regulations that we do now so you know when i when i look historically at our data you know we're on track Prior to starting to increase season length in about 1998, I think they killed about 16,000 total birds that year. And then in 1998, 1999, they started increasing the season by, you know, a week or more here and there. And I, I think what happened at that point in time, you know, unbeknownst to, to folks at the time, because, you know, things were going really, really well. You know, our reproduction had been, been doing great, but that was declining for that entire period of time and bottoming out you know, in 2003 and beyond. And so what we did was we kind of took our piggy bank and we, we threw it against the wall and we cashed it in from that kind of 99 through 2003 time frame. And what you saw is, you know, you, you added all of this opportunity and you started killing more and more turkeys. You know, it, it was getting more and more popular. More and more people were going out. They were successful. But then all of a sudden, you know, that reproduction, because we weren't seeing it, be nearly as good as we had, we overshot it. And in 2004, you know, we saw basically about a 25, 30% decline in our harvest. We went from nearly 20,000 to about 16,000 birds in one year. Mm. And, and that's when the, you know, the concern started and, and folks, you know, were, were really worried. Well, at that point, we started removing time from the season. So when you think about it, you know, time, time means turkeys, but the, the more, yeah. the more days you have available to hunt, the more potential turkeys you're going to harvest. And, and so what we saw was we started taking off a week at a time. Well, obviously all those birds at the end of the season that would have been shot the year before, they're not getting shot. So the harvest drops. Well mm-hmm. Oh, crap the, har- the harvest is still declining we need to take more days off uh, and as, as such you see more and more of those birds c- come off you know from a hunter standpoint and you say you know what's going on here we're, we're crashing and and some of that was you know intentional you know as you're taking those days off you're, you're hoping that that's starting to to get the, the population back to a point you know you're conserving some birds getting some carryover and you know but but as a visual to the public you know that, you know your your turkey hunters that's that's looking like the substantial declines and and without realizing those changes and and thinking about them it's it's hard to see that you just you just kind of look at the graph and you see well it was high back here and and now we're here you know we're and we're down 60 65 percent what we may have been at that time but is that really how far we're down? And, and so that, that's the challenge that I've had coming in here is trying to take that data, knowing all of the different changes that have occurred, and trying to put some, some understanding around it. You know, generating graphs that look, look at that, that harvest based on the season length, looking at it based on the, the season timing, looking at it in relation to our reproductive ratios, you know, trying to trying to complete a picture and and start developing you know a realistic expectation based upon the number of birds that we have been harvesting lately and what we probably historically you know would have looked like had we had similar uh, regulations in place and you know to me at this point from from all the digging that I've done and, and looking at the data you know I, I suspect our, our annual harvest if we get back to where We'd like to be, you know, our annual harvest is not going to be 20,000 adult gobblers each year. It's probably going to be somewhere in the ballpark of, you know, 12, maybe 15,000, you know, adult birds. But if we're in and around that, we're probably going to be doing pretty good. So, you know, that's going to be the challenge when, you know, as we, we move forward and and look at our harvest down the road and, you know, how folks are perceiving the population, you know, are we, are we getting back to where we probably – should be and how you know knowing that it's going to be a little bit different you know how do we make sure to let folks know that that's that's probably normal and, and make sure it's explained well enough so that they understand that yeah we're, we're not going to be what we once were because it's we're not we're not operating in the in the same construct or the same um, scenarios that, that we had going on at that time
0: yeah well you mentioned that about you know how arkansas has had changes to the regulations and and it seems like it's been year over year whether it's just moving this i say just that's a big deal whether it's moving the season back or you know implementing a no jake rule or whatever it happens to be and you know i think i mentioned it when we started the interview out that there this past year there were some pretty sweeping changes pretty drastic changes made And I saw the results of the survey that the state sent out to hunters, and I was surprised at the overwhelming buy-in of that survey and and the results of the number of people that were willing to agree to pushing the season back and making the changes that, now there were no, at least the survey that I saw, there were no changes, so to speak, proposed, but a hunter could pretty well read between the lines and say, okay, you're asking me this question. I know what you're looking for. And then, you know, with the question of where you're trying to take this. So I don't know, were, were you surprised at the results of the survey from last year?
3: I, I, I'll i be honest, I was. You know, I going into the last regulation cycle, so we would have started that, would have basically been the, the fall of 2019, going into to last spring during 2020 when the regulations were you know finally approved when that that packet went through but you know we we held several small focus groups throughout the state you know we, we had met as a as a turkey team so you know i obviously i'm the turkey program coordinator for the state but then i work with biologists You know, whether they're regional supervisors, regional biologists, private lands biologists throughout the state that have an interest in turkeys, and we all work together. You know, there's about 15 or so folks. We've got some research representation there as well. And we tried to look at what we could do from a regulation standpoint, knowing that at the end of the day, you know, regulations are only going to do so much. Mm -hmm. You know, that we're going to be able to impact one side of the equation, but we're also going to need a little bit of help from, you know, the weather and, and some other factors to, you know see our populations improve but you know we put out several ideas that we we felt were the, the best you know possible move forward we held these several Turkey hunter groups, focus groups, tried to look at a wide spectrum of turkey hunters, you know, whether they were, you know, a weekend warrior kind of type, you know, get out opening day and that's it, or you hunt public versus private land, or you're an avid hunter and you hunt basically every day that you possibly could during the entire season. We tried to get that that full spectrum. We looked north to south within the state. And, you know, I was I was really impressed. I, I anticipated that we would have considerably more pushback on the regulation changes than we did. So coming out of those, those focus groups, we refined our our recommendations to the commission as far as what those proposals would be, the final ones, put those out to the commission, and then they, they in turn, you know, put it out for public comment at that point in time. And I was still surprised, you know, at that point in time we were seeing, you know, the most contentious issue obviously was the season timing, but we still saw 63, 65% support for that from from the folks that participated in that survey which was was impressive to me you know i I anticipated that at best we would be at a 50 50 and you know i I think you know what folks are seeing and seeing a lot of the information that's that's getting out there now you know with with dr chamberlain dr collier there at lsu you know participating in those things like cocktails for conservation um you know getting their research out there in a digestible format You know, let folks know that hey, we are looking into these things. You know, as as state agencies and working with you know cooperating agencies, you know, whether it's a university or or what have you, to get some of this research done to understand what's going on with our our turkey populations. You know, I I think some folks are are understanding that we do need to make some changes. That you know, potentially just because things are one way 20 years ago, you know, they just can't necessarily be the same way today if. If we're going to have, or you know, get to some sort of a similar, you know, end result for what we're seeing on the ground, because you know, so much has changed, and and so I, I was truly impressed, you know, with with the support, and it made me hopeful, you know, that we can can maintain these regulations for some time, you know, and and if you know numbers do continue to decline you know if our harvest numbers go down we don't see good reproduction you know i hope that they still you know maintain that level of support knowing that you know that that could be kind of a, a low point before before things rebound you know if if we don't get good reproduction this year or next year you know that that could set things back um, we had really good reproduction in 2020 so you know even though our harvest dropped this year, which could have been partially from the, the regulation changes, but it's, it was also likely from from lower, you know, adult gobbler carryover from from the year before and, and low reproduction from 2019 and prior. That you know we could jump up immediately next year from having such a such a good reproductive year. But but yeah, I just hope we can can maintain that support and and folks understand that you know I'm I'm a turkey hunter just as much as them. I, I hunt public land with, with everybody else you know it took me three years to harvest a bird here in Arkansas and it was not for lack of trying it really wasn't for lack of birds being around you know I've, I've found birds every year since I've been here and you know there, there's birds to be had but it's it's not necessarily you know 12 or 15 on one ridge like you know folks may have experienced 20 years ago but you know they also didn't experience 12 or 15 other hunters on that potential same ridge as well Um, so you know there's there's been a lot of changes over those
1: years yeah yeah have this may be a pretty easy question has there been any attempt or interest in possibly restocking any areas maybe with birds from like a northeast state or somewhere that doesn't want them
3: so at this point in time it's not something that i'm going to say is out of the question down the line but it's not something that we're set up to deal with at this point in time so when i when i took over the the program in 2018 the last year that there had been any sort of restocking was around 2012. they kind of finalized that but but the majority of that restocking had occurred prior to 2000 and problem being is there really hasn't ever been a true any true guidelines or protocols for how to handle that and prioritize restocking, you know, attempts. And there's there's probably other steps in play first prior to getting into restocking. You know, in most cases, there's, there's birds around in, in a lot of places. They're not necessarily absent. I'm not going to say that there aren't some areas that birds are absent. But in areas that do still have birds, in most cases, you know, a closure or something like that may be more acceptable as a first step to allow those birds you know, a, t- a chance to, you know, breed and, and hopefully repopulate in the absence of hunting pressure. And if that's not enough, maybe that's something that down the line consideration for, for restocking may be needed. But the hope is, you know, at this point in time that, you know, we can we can avoid that if, if we don't need to, to go down that road. Because, you know, really, you know, most cases, you're not restocking that many individuals. So if there's turkeys there already and you give them a chance in the absence of hunting pressure that may be enough to allow them to to repopulate is it always going to be enough maybe not but you know we'd have to deal with that kind of on a case-by-case basis and, and see and, and how we define what that closure area may look like if if we went that route or you know if we continue to try to take it to the next step with with translocations
0: yeah very interesting mm-hmm. very interesting that and it makes sense but it's just interesting to me that closure would be an option before any translocation of turkeys you know i I would think that they would go hand in hand and you know you would translocate and then close the season down to give them a chance to take off but it's like you said you've got birds there why not give them a shot to do their thing
3: right exactly because i mean if if you are considering translocation you're still looking at a closure more more than likely to allow those birds to do what they need to do. Yeah, but, yeah. but since you're probably not going to be moving that many birds, that if the birds are already there, that closure alone is is probably that first step to give them a chance. I believe that's yeah. similar to you know what some other states have, have done with their their potential you know consideration for restocking. And I, I know I've looked at a state like Louisiana,
0: and I believe
3: you know that that's within their their protocols that they they look at, at a straight closure first prior to considering a potential restocking down the line, if that, as long as there are birds there in the area.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, the restocking efforts from back in the day, it's not, you know, they were releasing like 18, 20 turkeys. It wasn't like they were putting hundreds on the landscape. So, exactly. And yeah, I exactly. guess it wouldn't make much sense to have an open season after you release your three gobblers and ten hens in the, in the
2: area. Allowing. <laughs> yep,
3: yeah, no, exactly. You don't want to, you, know, you don't want to throw, you take that investment where you just brought in and, and <laughs> say, well, okay, have that on the screen. Yeah. I mean, that, that actually, you know, if you go back in time, You know, Arkansas, early on during the restocking, from my understanding, you know, some of those areas weren't closed immediately following some of those restoration attempts, and they failed. And so what they found was over time that, yeah, they needed to close those areas in conjunction with those stocking efforts, and that's when the Turk populations in those areas really, you know, were able to take off. Now, again, granted, you know, completely different dynamic and landscape at the time— what we deal with now so it's hard to say you know if we'd have even the same level of success with some of the restockings now that we used to have 20 30 40 50 years ago you know when you look at your predator communities the the landscape you know land use changes all of that you know is going to impact how how well those birds do now compared to what they, they once did you know how quickly they expand from restocking or, or from the existing populations on a closure
0: yeah well let, mm-hmm. can we I know we've been going for a while here do you have time to talk a little bit about some of the habitat improvement projects that you have going on through throughout different regions of the state yeah yeah okay so I, before I before I turn you loose on that because I'm <laughs> going to forget if I don't do it now but I had Uh, Arkansas resident reached out to me and this is before I even knew you were coming on the show and Mm -hmm. he said hey can we I would love to hear some more information on what the state is doing the state of Arkansas is doing to try to turn things around and specifically more related to habitat improvement and so we texted last night and this morning as well and he said this is from Mike Tibben, who I'm not sure what part of Arkansas he lives in. But he says, all I really have been wanting to know is what is the state actively doing to return the north central and west central parts of the state back to, or hey, if, if he's going to dream, dream big, or better than the late 90s? And then he says, does he ever think we will get back there? Mm-hmm.
3: So, yeah, I'll hit that last part first. You know, do I expect that we'll ever get back to probably what we saw in the late 90s to early 2000s? I don't know that we will, yeah. you know, to be brutally honest. You know, I, I anticipate that things are going to be different than they once were back then, no matter all of the, the effort that we put in. Does it mean that our populations may not be be as good or comparable to back then? No. I mean, we we may get our populations in in a similar level, but what that experience looks like in the woods may be completely different now compared to what it was back then. again, considering the amount of additional pressure we see these days, Mm -hmm. you know, as we all know, you know, you go out there in the woods and if you bump a bird or this or that, or you got gravel, you know, popping out of the national forest and areas, you know, a lot of times birds shut up in and around that that disturbance. And so we we have so many more hunters nowadays than we did 20 or 30 years ago that, you know, when, when people used to tell me they, you know, they go out onto a ridge in the national forest and they'd hear 10 or more birds, you know, from one spot and they just, you know, if they went towards one and, Screwed it up, or they go off to the next one. Well, at that point in time, they could. Most of them could tell me on one hand how many other turkey hunters they knew. You know, were out pursuing the birds around them. Well, nowadays, you know, there may be ten or more other hunters in that area. And you know, as over time, as you've all been, you know, in that spot, going out there and potentially trying to harvest a bird, you know, or fill your entire limit, that you're taking more and more chips away at that existing population and. You know, when it was just you and you maybe killed one or two birds out of a big flock, you know, over the years, well, that's, that's not too big a deal. You know, you can make up for that in a good year of reproduction, you know, and, and even if you have a bad year, you still got quite a few birds. But, but when you have that with so many other people pursuing them and potentially trying to fill, fill a limit or, or killing one or two birds, you know, more and more of those birds from that one group are, are removed, you know, in the same year, and that, that changes the dynamics. Of what that population looks like in comparison to what what you would have had before so so yeah I, I don't know that we'll ever get back to that same experience but you know we may and I hope that we can get populations back into that same ballpark or you know maybe 80 percent or 90 percent of maybe what they once were yeah. um but as far as you know a habitat you know work here in the state we don't Up until this point, the turkey program itself hasn't necessarily directly pushed projects itself. Within our wildlife management division, we have a habitat program that handles habitat enhancements on our AGFC-owned lands and also may work with our other agency partners on cooperative WMAs. So, you know, whether that's the national forest systems that are in WMAs, so all of the Ozark and St. Francis National Forest are in the WMA system, whereas in the Washita's, you only have Caney Creek, Muddy Creek, and Winona WMAs. And then there's a vast amount of the Washita National Forest that actually is outside of the WMA system. But so we have biologists that, that work on habitat improvements on on all those areas that are AGFC owned. And each one of those areas has what's called a a WMA master plan. And within those, when those are generated, the different program staff review those and make recommendations from a species standpoint. So, you know, from a kind of a north central, you know, standpoint, maybe slightly on the eastern side of it, you know, we've got some amazing WMAs like Harold Alexander Spring River WMA, for instance, extremely popular WMA. It's within our permit hunt system. Um it has one of the lowest draw odds available, which makes sense due to, you know, folks know that it has a, a pretty good population of turkeys. And they've been doing substantial work for quail on that particular area, in Northern Bob White like quail, because they're listed as a species of greatest conservation need in the state. And the one great thing about quail here in arkansas is and and really throughout the southeast quail habitat is turkey habitat Mm -hmm. and so the agency as a whole has you know prior to my arrival i think a year or two prior to my my starting the position they they hired a new quail program coordinator and during that time they put a lot of focus into To managing for quail, and what I I try to remind folks is 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 that that quail habitat is turkey habitat. So just because it doesn't necessarily have the name tag of, of turkey on it, doesn't mean that that is not benefiting turkeys immensely. And so they've done substantial work up there on that particular area. There's I believe seven different focal landscapes in the state that they put a lot of effort into on both public and private lands, and. All of it's been been really beneficial for turkeys in those areas. They've been responding really, really well. But in addition to that, uh, we work with partners like the National Wild Turkey Federation. Um, you know, we support, position with them. Our our regional biologist or district biologist here in Arkansas, Jeremy Everett, and he works a lot with our Forest Service staff. Tries to work on stewardship areas or projects, looking at improving habitat on those national forest areas and so that's a lot of cases that's doing timber thinning reducing the basal area so you can get some more sunlight on the ground Mm -hmm. and maybe doing wildlife opening maintenance where you're taking some small little quarter acre openings and expanding them to an acre or more in size moving more towards like native warm season grass pollinator type plantings that are really good nesting or broodering cover um, as opposed to just annual food plot. So they're just using those with either with some periodic mowing or getting in there and burning those when they're, when they're burning the surrounding acreage.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: that's really been really good to see. In addition, starting this year, you know, now that we have that, that turkey stamp here in the state and the quail stamps, We're we're joining funds together in a a cost share program with our state NWCF chapter and going to, we we sent that RFP out for projects and what that will do, it's going to be focused on things like burning, it's going to be focused on things like mulching or or chemical injection work to remove some of those mid-story trees that are shading out the understory, you know, historically much of Arkansas would have been in open woodland type conditions within the mountains, at least, you know, on a lot of the ridge tops and, and some of the um, easier slopes, you know,
2: yeah. slow.
3: Yeah. You know, yeah. Gentler slopes, I guess that's what I'm looking for, you know, on South facing slopes and or North facing, depending on where you're at and, and getting it to a point where we're removing some of that midstory, applying fire to that area, maintaining that open condition that's going to benefit from a nesting and a brewery standpoint that's that's going to be huge and and so i'm looking forward to getting getting a lot of those projects and you know that's that's for work throughout the state so it's not just you know up in the north central and the northwestern portions of the state but but all over i mean the, the ones we've received so far come from from areas up in and around the white rock wma's and piney creek wma's and the ozark national forest as well as down burl anthony lower washita wma which is down you know basically on the louisiana border mm-hmm. and and we'll have more coming in in the coming days um, we're just kind of right in the middle of the rsp process right now so just continuing to wait for more more of those projects to pop up so we've been hitting a lot of that we've been working a lot with our private lands biologists within the state of, I've, I've done, I don't know how many different landowner workshops since I've been here, really just trying to push that message of, you know, what's going on with the Turkey population and what, what can folks do to help? Cause you know, at the end of the day, you know, AGFC and, and the forest service uh, and a lot of these other big public land agencies, you know, we, we really only amount to less than 10% of the, the total acreage in the state. Yeah. And if we anticipate that we're, you know, ever going to see rebounds in, in turkey populations or quail populations, it's it's going to take a lot of private landowners getting on board and and thinking about what they can do on on their land to benefit turkeys and quail, and you know, nesting and brooder and habitat and brooder and habitat in particular, probably the most limiting habitat conditions throughout turkeys' range. I mean you know you go out into most woods in the southeast and you're looking at you know mature trees and pine straw or leaf litter you know on the ground and not a lot of you know vegetation to hide in them. Hmm. you know that that's great from a you know a fall and winter habitat standpoint you know hard mast if you're in a hardwood stand you know acorns but and, and turkeys can see a long ways so you know they're trying to avoid predators at that time of the year but you know, the reality is what about that other, you know, six to nine months of the year when when turkeys need to be concealed on the ground, poults need to be concealed on the ground, they need to have a lot of protein, insects. So, you know, trying to manage for that and encourage folks on private lands to, you know, jump on board and and try to do some work. Now, whether that's, you know, just them fronting the money and doing the work on their own, we get a lot of folks like that, but we also, you know, have staff that, can help them through the process of looking at some of the federal programs, you know, through through NRCS and the the EQIP uh, program, you know, uh, environmental quality incentives program, I believe is what it's called. And, you know, that, that can provide cost share opportunities to private landowners to get a lot of this work done at, at either a reduced cost or potentially eliminate some of the costs and you know all those things are huge and and beneficial and then lastly you know with with private lands we actually as a state we were just recently awarded a what's called a regional conservation program partnership grant and that's going to take place in south arkansas around eight counties with you know some anchors set up in and around some of the wmas and and public lands in that area that are doing a lot of work, and, and that's going to bring additional dollars to some of those federal programs for landowners in that area to potentially implement some of those practices, whether it's burning or, or chemical injection work to, to remove excuse me, mid-story competition and get, get that sunlight and vegetation to grow on the ground.
0: Well, all of that stuff's important, and it's like you said. You know, the, the National Forest and the WMAs, the public land, is only a small percentage of what's there in the entire state. And yet, it's a lot of ground, but mm-hmm. it takes a lot of money to manage that ground on a large scale, like what you guys have in those areas. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, a limiting factor. And I'm, I'm sure there's some money generated from timber harvests and, you know, I've definitely not seen all of the state. I will never claim to have. Even if I lived there, I would not claim to have seen all of the state. But
3: <laughs> I haven't either. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I, I wish I
2: had. But...
0: Yeah, and I will bet you've seen way more of it than the majority of of the people that live there, just because of what you do. But you know. And, and Mike may get mad at me for saying this, but what public ground I have seen, there's management projects going on and the turkeys seem to be using those areas, whether it's mm-hmm. select timber harvest or burns, the wildlife openings that I've seen are being used. And, you know, I'm sure that the hunters, the residents of Arkansas, and you as well would like to see more of that, but mm-hmm. it's something that's just... Going to take time, and it's going to take money, and it can't all be done overnight. So,
3: it, exactly, and you know, sometimes it's trying to sit there and look. Okay, where where is good work being done? How can we expand on the work being done here? You know, it's rather than necessarily taking a scattergun approach, and you know, just picking you know spots here or there in the middle of you know other habitat that's really not all that great. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can build upon areas that are suitable. You know, it's kind of an, an anchor. And then, then you hope that you can start improving other habitat in close proximity to that so it's easier to manage and maintain. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I wish we had all the money in the world to, to see a lot of these areas get back into a much better condition than we currently do. And, and unfortunately, we don't have all the money in the world. But, you know, yeah. we keep trying to, to do what we can and, and chip away at it so these birds will have something better than, than
0: what they've had in the past yeah definitely well i think you you know we've cameron and i've taken a lot of your time me specifically because i have just i could sit could here and ask you questions all day long i know you've got things <laughs> that you want to do and you'd rather be doing than than talking work all weekend long to me and you know i have to try to remember this work for you it's fun for me so
3: well hey it's a, it's a little bit of boss for me i mean i'm i'm an avid turkey hunter i mean i I live, breathe, sleep, turkey, you know, 24 7, 365. I, mean, I, I tell folks my wife knows more about turkeys than she'd ever care to at this point in time. And, and I talk about turkeys pretty much every day or think about turkeys pretty much every day. So even if I'm not on the me time, too. I'm the <laughs> <not>. <laughs> yeah,
0: that makes three of us very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well Jeremy, you...
1: thank you so much, man. I I really appreciate it. No, yeah. You're welcome. I and,
3: George
0: being on and George talking yeah well we we I'm sure want to have you back on at some point in the future and you know I got pretty deep into this stuff with you and Cameron did too and but it, it, it's a topic that like Cameron and I talked about a couple of days ago, it may sound on the surface like it's state specific to Arkansas, but these are issues that most states are having and Mm -hmm. you know you guys Mm -hmm. and I've said this I believe to Mike Chamberlain and Brett Collier and I'm going to say it to you personally and I may eat these words in 10 years I may eat them in five (laughs) years but personally I feel like what you guys are doing in Arkansas is going to be the case study that other states are going to be looking at in eight seven eight ten years saying this is what we've got to do we don't have a choice we've got to copy arkansas and i think what you are implementing up there what you're getting started up there is going to work and i know you do too or you wouldn't be doing it so Mm -hmm. thank you for
3: that i I appreciate that and i hope i hope i hope we are on the right track And and i hope that you know a lot of these other states i know we're seeing a lot of changes being made you know Alabama and, and Georgia is talking about changes, and Louisiana has made them recently as well. But you know, hopefully, we are moving in that that positive direction. And ten years ago, we look back on this and and are thanking you know ourselves for for having you know hopefully had the foresight that we needed at this time to to get things turned around. Yeah, and and if yeah. not, that you know that something comes up in the in the meantime that we figure out is really what we need to be doing. But you know, yeah. if you're not uh, uh, not adapting to changes, you know, you're not you know taking advantage of the best information available. You know, you can't get yourself locked down and say that yeah, this has to be the the way it is. Um, if something else comes up, so I'm, I'm hopeful that you know we're on the right track, and in ten years from now we can look back on this and it's just a it's just a low point, and we're we're back to where we want to be. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the Jeremy Wood how arkansas restored the wild turkey that sounds
3: good to me
0: (laughs) yeah well Well,
3: i can't take i won't take all the credit if we do and i just i just hope we are back at that point you know down the road and you know i hope folks are happy you know we we get to that point you know i know i will be if if we got enough birds that we're running around and everybody's excited every spring and doesn't have anything to complain about
0: well we'll find something to complain about it may not be the, the population of turkeys in Arkansas, but we, you know how we are. We'll find something to complain about. So, Always. Well, we teased you before we started recording the show talking about this rapid-fire Q&A. So next time you come on, I'm going to give you time mm-hmm. to practice between now and then to sharpen your skills. But <laughs> next time you come on, we'll, we'll do the rapid-fire Q&A with you. I feel like we've kept you too long now, and I appreciate all the time and all the information that you shared. This has been eye-opening and I, I do yeah, appreciate no. it.
3: Thank you, Jeremy. That was good. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right. See have a
0: great weekend. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You
3: too. Bye.
0: I think we could do about three or four more hours with Jeremy.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it, the most staggering statistic to me, 90% Jake survival to the next year. I did not realize it was that high.
0: Well, I mean, you got to think <laughs> when you're not shooting them, A lot of them are going to live.
1: Yeah, I I get that. I just, I had always heard people like, well, I mean, we should keep shooting Jakes because their mortality rate's so high in the winter or whatever. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I guess Jakes really aren't that smart. So maybe it is that high, but they get pretty smart by the time they're two-year-olds. So they obviously learn a lot from (laughs) Jake to two-year-old.
0: Well, it was surprising to me, the mortality rate of two-year-olds though.
1: So high, I know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's whacking some two-year-olds.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it makes makes sense that that's the majority of your your harvest. And I still, you know, Jeremy made a good point. It'd be interesting to see the effects on it. I've, I'm still going to, with my puny brain and non-biologist mind, stand by. I'd rather a Jake survive and have at least a chance at reproducing the next year as a two-year-old, even though he's probably going to get killed. But... I still think that's a better option.
0: <laughs> well, I don't, I I just don't think that there's going to be a lot of people who listen to this show this time of year who are going to take issue with not shooting Jakes. Now, I don't have a problem with a 6, 7, 10, 12-year-old kid. Shooting a jake as their first bird. I really don't have a problem with a 50-year-old man shooting a jake as his first bird.
1: Yeah. I think it's just, it's region-specific. So, Arkansas, it makes sense. No jakes. I mean, they're struggling. Don't shoot jakes. Yeah. where we hunted in Utah? I think it's all right to kill a jake, obviously. Holy cow. I killed one,
0: so. (laughs) There are a bunch of jakes where we were in Utah. Yeah. And and I mean,
1: I've seen other states like that where it... You know, it's like, hey, there's a gang of 15 Jakes. I don't, you know, like he said, is taking one really going to do much? Probably not. But here in West Tennessee, you know, maybe East Tennessee is different, but where I am, you know, I'm super pumped if I see two or three Jakes hanging together, I'm, I'm fired up. I definitely don't want to kill them, you know? Yeah. So I think it could be a region-specific thing, and I think Arkansas made a wise move with removing Jakes from the harvest. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. It,
1: That was an interesting statistic to me, though. Both of those, the Jake mortality and the two-year-old mortality were both mind-blowing statistics to me.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: I did not realize just how many of the two-year-olds were getting killed.
0: Yeah. You know, another thing that just on the surface, and I mentioned this in the interview, but on the surface, I was thinking, hey, you know, Arkansas can, with the changes they've implemented, they can flip this thing pretty quickly. You know, in, in two or three years this situation could be completely different in Arkansas. But there are those other factors that come into play, being weather and you know, what your what your recruitment is with your polts and so on and so forth. And Jeremy's right, you know, I'm I'm sure he would love to see ten years worth of data to say, okay, yes, this is working. Yeah. Or actually what he would prefer to say is, this has worked.
1: Yes, we're back. Or, yeah. yeah. Hopefully and, there's positive trends along the way, you know, to be yeah. encouraged so that regulations aren't changed again,
0: you know? Yeah. My fear is, and I hope it doesn't happen, but my fear is they go rocking along two, three years into this and they don't see an increase in the population because of these factors that they have no control over like weather. And the state says, you know what? We're just forget it. We're, we're going to go back to the way things were.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they're an interesting project because they have one of the more restrictive seasons, if not the most restrictive of any, especially in their zone two or zone one, I think zone one, eight days and one bird. That's pretty slim.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So if you can't propagate them with an eight day season and one bird limit, there's hunting pressure is not the issue.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: I mean, in my mind. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out for them. And I, you know, I hope, I hope they have tons of turkeys. I really do.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And also it was interesting to me to him to talk about, and I've always thought this people put way too much stock in the harvest statistic as the tell all it do not tell you anything you yeah. know tennessee's harvest was you know down this year from last year does that mean we have less turkeys i think yes but they also dropped the bag limit you know what was the hunter effort who who knows i mean that that's what unless you have other statistics like how many people entered the woods to turkey hunt what is the harvest telling you you know yeah i don't i don't get that so i mean i think it is a metric that's easy to keep up with i guess for them But I don't think it's the tell all, you know, like he said, people were looking at it. Well, the harvest is going down. Harvest is going down where they're taking season dates off. So it makes sense. It's going down. But anyway, super interesting interview in my opinion. Yeah. I've had a request actually. And I've mentioned this before, I guess maybe this prompted the request for us to try to get somebody from Connecticut on to explain why on earth they went to five birds. And I'd be interested to hear that too.
0: Yeah, well, you may not get the truth in a podcast, but yeah. I'm going to speculate that your theory probably had a lot of weight on that decision. Yeah, you have flock of turkeys. Yeah, you have one or two people that are outdoorsmen on their board or in their state legislature or game and fish department, believe it or not, and they are influenced by someone else with money and power who has turkeys that are just absolutely destroying their crops and yard or assaulting their bird feeders you know whatever it happens to be
1: yep i think that's probably some truth to that so maybe we'll try to look into that but i know we got some live hunts we got to share we got some pretty cool interviews coming up i know we already have two guests lined up for the next couple weeks we might throw a live hunt in there between them and then we got Another guest we're planning to get on. So, I mean, we're, we're loading up, man. We got good content coming. And yes, all indeed. of it is brought to you by the Real Cajun Market.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: That is the one and only sponsor of the Turkey Hunter podcast. And they have incredible sausage. I'm about to make a sheet pan sausage and veggies recipe. Hmm. I haven't decided which one I'm going to go with yet as far as sausage, but I think it's going to be the pineapple one. That That one sounds good. Sounds like it would go really well with some of these vegetables in there, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So it's already cooked, super easy to cook with. I use it all the time in recipes. I would highly suggest anybody that's interested in getting the best sausage you've ever eaten in your life, which most people are interested in, order some, maybe get the variety pack so you can see what you like. But you're probably going to like them all, so that's going to be a problem for you. (laughs) Because yeah. I have one I didn't like, and I'm being totally honest. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, like, not because they're a sponsor. I've tried, you know, four or five different sausages now. I'd order them all again, literally. I prefer some over other ones, but they're all great and very different, too. That's what's cool about them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, in order to do an order with the real Cajun market, you can contact Cullen Lord on social media, Facebook or Instagram, Cullen Lord. Or you can... Send a message to the real Cajun market on Facebook or Instagram. Or you can call his wife, Anne, and Andy will give you her number.
0: It is 678 471 1150. That's 678 471 1150. And be sure to let Anne know that you heard about. The Real Cajun Market on the Turkey Hunter podcast, and that that is why you're ordering the meat.
1: They got the meat. Yes, they do. So, do that. That would be very helpful to us, really helpful to you, and really helpful to the Real Cajun Market. So, everybody wins. Andy, you want to give us a favor of the week and then wrap us up this week?
0: I am going to give a favor of the week, and really, it is a favor for yourself, not just you, Cameron, but everyone is.
1: (laughs) Do me a favor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You do yourself a favor. That's where I'm going with this. We are 281 days and some hours, minutes, and seconds away from the start of spring turkey season in Alabama. And you have likely diaphragm calls sitting in your hunting stuff that are used, that you're going to pull out this time next year and probably go, yep, reeds are stuck, throwing them away. Unstick those reeds and keep practicing. Good call, man. Good call. Wear those diaphragms out between now and next spring. And, you know, if you have a fall season in your state, why not keep working on them? Maybe you oh, get you yeah. a young of the year hen.
1: No, 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 no. Don't go fall turkey hunting. Okay. I'm gonna go falter again. So okay. Nobody else should. It it sucks, man. They don't gobble. Yep. It's awful. It's a terrible time. Go sit in a deer stand. You know, just sit still and don't move. Just do that. Don't go falter again. It it blows. Don't don't make that part of this.
0: And there you have it. <laughs> Deep thoughts by Cameron Weddington.
1: And I'll share my audio from my horrible experiences of turkeys gobbling and coming to me in the fall. It, it, it's awful. It is. Uh, but I'll share them on here anyway. But anyway.
0: All right. Practice your okay. calls. I like that. I need to do that. Yep. I, I tell you, I pulled one of my diaphragms out this week, and it's one that I opened. So it was a brand new call on our trip that we took over Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. and was running it in the truck from one location to the other this week. And I, you won't hear me say this often about myself running a diaphragm call. I sounded pretty dang good. So, well, that makes
1: sense. It's June.
0: Yeah, it's June. Yeah, and you'll
1: lose it by March.
0: <laughs> I've, got, I've got to keep that, you yeah. know? So, uh, I've, it, it's muscle memory and the that's more you nice. do it and then, and you know that you're sounding good. Well, at least, you know, you think you sound good, but that's where the Repetition. digital recorder comes in.
1: Repetition. Repetition. yeah,
0: yep. You got it. So I'm going to keep working on it. I'll get there. It, cool. Well, cool. then Absolutely. I'm just going to say, yeah. let's stick a fork in this puppy. So thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com